Part Two, Sections One and Two of the Song of the Lark. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Shi Pingling. The Song of the Lark by Willard Cyber Cather. Part Two, Sections One and Two. Section One. Thea and Dr. Archie had been gone from Moonstone four days. On the afternoon of the 19th of October, they were in a streetcar, riding through the depressing, unkept wastes of North Chicago, on their way to call upon the Reverend Lars Larsen, a friend to whom Mr. Kronborg had written. Thea was still staying at the rooms of the Young Women's Christian Association, and was miserable and homesick there. The housekeeper watched her in a way that made her uncomfortable. Things had not gone very well so far. The noise and confusion of a big city tired and disheartened her. She had not had her trunk sent to the Christian Association rooms because she did not want to double cartage charges, and now she was running up a bill for storage on it. The contents of a great telescope were becoming untidy and it seems impossible to keep one's face and hands clean in chicago she felt as if she were still on the train traveling without enough clothes to keep clean she wanted another nightgown and it did not occur to her that she could buy one there were other clothes in her trunk that she needed very much and she seemed no nearer a place to stay than when she arrived in the rain on that first disillusioning morning Dr. Archie had gone at once to his friend Hartley Evans, the throat specialist, and had asked him to tell him of a good piano teacher and direct him to a good boarding house. Dr. Evans said he could easily tell him who was the best piano teacher in Chicago, but that most students' boarding houses were abominable places where girls got poor food for body and mind. He gave Dr. Archie several addresses, however, and the doctor went to look the places over. He left Thea in her room, for she seemed tired and was not at all like herself. His inspection of boarding houses was not encouraging. The only place that seemed to him at all desirable was full, and the mistress of the house could not give Thea a room in which she could have a piano. She said Thea might use the piano in her parlor, but when Dr. Archie went to look at the parlor, he found a girl talking to a young man on one of the corner sofas. Learning that the boarders received all their callers there, he gave up that house, too, as hopeless. So when they set out to make the acquaintance of Mr. Larson on the afternoon he had appointed, the question of a lodging was still undecided. The Swedish Reformed Church was in a sloughy, weedy district near a group of factories. The church itself was a very neat little building. The parsonage next door looked clean and comfortable, and there was a well-kept yard about it with a picket fence. Thea saw several little children playing under a swing, and wondered why ministers always had so many. When they rang at the parsonage door, 
a capable-looking swedish servant girl answered the bell and told them that mr larson's study was in the church and that he was waiting for them there mr larson received them very cordially the furniture in his study was so new and the pictures were so heavily framed that thea thought it looked more like the waiting-room of the fashionable denver dentist to whom dr archie had taken her that summer than like a preacher's study there were even flowers in the glass vase on the desk mr larson was a small plump man with a short yellow beard very white teeth and a little turned-up nose on which he wore gold-rimmed eyeglasses he looked about thirty-five but he was growing bald and his thin hair was parted above his left ear and brought up over the bare spot on the top of his head he looked cheerful and agreeable he wore a blue coat and no cuffs after dr archie and thea sat down on a slippery leather couch the minister asked for an outline of thea's plans dr archie explained that she meant to study piano with andor hassani that they had already seen him that thea had played for him and he said he would be glad to teach her mr larson lifted his pale eyebrows and rubbed his plump white hands together but he is a concert pianist already he will be very expensive that's why miss kronborg wants to get a church position if possible she has not money enough to see her through the winter there's no use her coming all the way from colorado and study with a second-rate teacher my friends here tell me hassani is the best oh very likely i have heard him play with thomas you western people do things on a big scale there are half a dozen teachers that i should think however you know what you want mr larson showed his contempt for such extravagant standards by a shrug he felt that dr archie was trying to impress him he had succeeded indeed in bringing out the doctor's stiffest manner mr larson went on to explain that he managed the music in his church himself and drilled his choir though the tenor was the official choirmaster unfortunately there were no vacancies in his choir just now he had his four voices very good ones he looked away from dr archie and glanced at thea she looked troubled even a little frightened when he said this and drew in her lower lip she certainly was not pretentious if her protector was he continued to study her she was sitting on the lounge her knees far apart her gloved hands lying stiffly in her lap like a country girl her turban which seemed a little too big for her had got tilted in the wind it was always windy in that part of chicago and she looked tired she wore no veil and her hair too was the worse for the wind and dust when he said he had all the voices he required he noticed that her gloved hands shut tightly mr larson reflected that she was not after all responsible for the lofty manner of her father's physician that she was not even responsible for her father whom he remembered as a tiresome fellow as he watched her tired worried face he felt sorry for her all the same i would like to try your voice he said turning pointedly away from her companion 
I'm interested in voices. Can you sing to the violin? I guess so, Thea replied dully. I don't know. I never tried. Mr. Larson took his violin out of the case and began to tighten the keys. We might go into the lecture room and see how it goes. I can't tell much about a voice by the organ. The violin is really the proper instrument to try a voice. He opened the door at the back of his study, pushed Thea gently through it, and looking over his shoulder to Dr. Archie, said, Excuse us, sir. We'll be back soon. Dr. Archie chuckled. All preachers were alike, officious and on their dignity, like to deal with women and girls, but not with men. He took up a thin volume from the minister's desk. To his amusement, it proved to be a book of devotional and kindred poems by Mrs. Aurelia S. Larson. He looked them over, thinking that the world changed very little. He could remember when the wife of his father's minister had published a volume of verses which all the church members had to buy and all the children were encouraged to read. His grandfather had made a face at the book and said, Pure body. Both ladies seemed to have chosen the same subjects, too. J. Fath's daughter, Rizpah, Davis, Lament for Absalom, etc. The doctor found the book very amusing. The Reverend Lars Larson was a reactionary sweet. His father came to Iowa in the 60s married a swedish girl who was ambitious like himself and they moved to kansas and took up land under the homestead act after that they bought land and leased it from the government acquired land in every possible way they worked like horses both of them indeed they would never have used any horse flesh they owned as they used themselves they reared a large family and worked their sons and daughters as mercilessly as they worked themselves, all of them but Lars. Lars was the fourth son, and he was born lazy. He seemed to bear the mark of overstrained on the part of his parents. Even in his cradle he was an example of physical inertia, anything to lie still. When he was a growing boy, his mother had to drag him out of bed every morning, and he had to be driven to his chores. At school, he had a model attendance record because he found getting his lessons easier than farm work. He was the only one of the family who went through the high school, and by the time he graduated, he had already made up his mind to study for the ministry because it seemed to him the least laborious of all callings. In so far as he could see, it was the only business in which there was practically no competition, in which a man was not all the time pitted against other men who were willing to work themselves to death. His father stubbornly opposed Lars' plan. But after keeping the boy at home for a year and finding how useless he was on the farm, he sent him to a theological seminary, as much to conceal his laziness from the neighbors as because he did not know what else to do with him. Larson, like Peter Kronborg, got on well in the ministry, because he got on well with the women. His English was no worse than that of most young preachers of American parentage, 
and he made the most of his skill with the violin he was supposed to exert a very desirable influence over young people and to stimulate their interest in church work he married an american girl and when his father died he got his share of the property which was very considerable he invested his money carefully and was that rare thing a preacher of independent means his white well-kept hands were his result the evidence that he had worked out his life successfully in the way that pleased him his kansas brothers hated the sight of his hands larson liked all the softer things of life in so far as he knew about them he slept late in the morning was fussy about his food and read a great many novels preferring sentimental ones he did not smoke but he ate a great deal of candy for his throat and always kept a box of chocolate drops in the upper right-hand drawer of his desk he always bought season tickets for the symphony concerts and he played his violin for women's culture clubs he did not wear cuffs except on sunday because he believed that a free wrist facilitated his violin practice when he drilled his choir he always held his hand with the little and index fingers curved higher than the other two like a noted german conductor he had seen on the whole the reverend larson was not an insincere man he merely spent his life resting and playing to make up for the time his forebears had wasted grubbing in the earth he was simple-hearted and kind he enjoyed his candy and his children and his sacred cantatas he could work energetically at almost any form of play dr archie was deep in the lament of mary magdalene when mr larson and thea came back to the study from the minister's expression he judged that thea had succeeded in interesting him mr larson seemed to have forgotten his hostility toward him and addressed him frankly as soon as he entered he stood holding his violin and as thea sat down he pointed to her with his bow i have just been telling miss kronborg that though i cannot promise her anything permanent i might give her something for the next few months my soprano is a young married woman and is temporarily indisposed she would be glad to be excused from her duties for a while i like miss kronborg's singing very much and i think she would benefit by the instruction in my choir singing here might very well lead to something else we pay our soprano only eight dollars a sunday but she always gets ten dollars for singing at funerals miss kronborg has a sympathetic voice and i think there will be a good deal of demand for her at funerals several american churches apply to me for a soloist on such occasions and i could help her to pick up quite a little money that way this sounded lugubrious to dr archie who had a physician's dislike of funerals but he tried to accept the suggestions cordially miss kronborg tells me she is having some trouble getting located mr larson went on with animation still holding his violin i would advise her to keep away from boarding-houses altogether among my parishioners there are two german women a mother and daughter the daughter is a sweet by marriage 
and clings to the Swedish church. They live near here, and they rent some of their rooms. They have now a large room vacant, and have asked me to recommend someone. They have never taken boarders, but Mrs. Locke, the mother, is a good cook. At least I'm always glad to take supper with her, and I think I could persuade her to let this young woman partake of the family table. The daughter, Mrs. Anderson, is musical, too, and sings in the Mozart Society. I think they might like to have a music student in the house. You speak German, I suppose, he turned to Thea. Oh, no, a few words. I don't know the grammar, she murmured. Dr. Archie noticed that her eyes looked alive again, not frozen as they had looked all morning. If this fellow can help her, it's not for me to be standoffish, he said to himself. Do you think you would like to stay in such a quiet place with old-fashioned people? Mr. Larson asked. I shouldn't think you could find a better place to work, if that's what you want. I think Mother would like to have me with people like that, Thea replied. And I'll be glad to settle down most anywhere. I'm losing time. Very well. There's no time like the present. Let us go to see Mrs. Locke and Mrs. Anderson. The minister put his violin in his case and caught up a black-and-white checked traveling cap that he wore when he rode his high Columbia wheel. The three left the church together. Section 2 So Thea did not go to a boarding-house after all. When Dr. Archie left Chicago, she was comfortably settled with Mrs. Locke and her happy reunion with her trunk somewhat consoled her for his departure. Mrs. Locke and her daughter lived half a mile from the Swedish Reformed Church, in an old square-frame house with a porch supported by frail pillars set in a damp yard full of big lilac bushes. The house, which had been left over from country times, needed paint badly, and looked gloomy and despondent among its smart Queen Anne neighbors. There was a big backyard with two rows of apple trees and a grape arbor, and a warped walk, two planks wide, which led to the coal bins at the back of the lot. Thea's room was on the second floor, overlooking this backyard, and she understood that in the winter she must carry up her own coal and kindling from the bin. There was no furnace in the house, no running water except in the kitchen, and that was why the room rent was small. All the rooms were heated by stoves, and the lodgers pumped the water they needed from the cistern under the porch or from the well at the entrance of the grape arbor. Old Mrs. Locke could never bring herself to have costly improvements made in her house. Indeed, she had very little money. She preferred to keep the house just as her husband built it, and she thought her way of living good enough for plain people. Thea's room was large enough to admit a rented upright piano without crowding. It was, the widow's daughter said, a double room that had always before been occupied by two gentlemen. The piano now took the place of a second occupant. There was an ingrained carpet on the floor, green ivy leaves on a red ground, and clumsy old-fashioned walnut furniture. The bed was very wide, and the mattress thin and hard. 
over the fat pillows were shams embroidered in turkey red each with a flowering scroll one with good nacht the other with guten morgen the dresser was so big that thea wondered how it had ever been got into the house and up the narrow stairs besides an old horsehair armchair there were two low plush spring rockers against the massive pedestals of which one was always stumbling in the dark thea sat in the dark a good deal those first weeks and sometimes a painful bump against one of those brutally immovable pedestals roused her temper and pulled her out of a heavy hour the wallpaper was brownish yellow with blue flowers when it was put on the carpet certainly had not been consulted there was only one picture on the wall when thea moved in a large colored print of a brightly lighted church in a snowstorm on christmas eve with greens hanging about the stone doorway and arch windows there was something warm and homelike about this picture and thea grew fond of it one day on her way into town to take her lesson she stopped at a bookstore and bought a photograph of the naples bust of julius caesar this she had framed and hung it on the big bare wall behind her stove it was a curious choice but she was at the age when people do inexplicable things she had been interested in caesar's commentaries when she left school to begin teaching and she loved to read about great generals but these facts would scarcely explain her wanting that grim bald head to share her daily existence it seemed a strange freak when she bought so few things and when she had as mrs anderson said to mrs locke no pictures of the composers at all both the widows were kind to her but thea liked the mother better old mrs locke was fat and jolly with a red face always shining as if she had just come from the stove bright little eyes and hair of several colors her own hair was one cast of iron gray her switch another and her false front still another her clothes always smelled of savory cooking except when she was dressed for church or cafe clutch and then she smelled of bay rum or of the lemon verbena sprig which she tucked inside her puffy black kid gloves her cooking justified all that mr larson had said of it and thea had never been so well nourished before the daughter mrs anderson irene her mother called her was a different sort of woman altogether she was perhaps forty years old angular big-boned with large thin features light blue eyes and dry yellow hair the bang tightly frizzed she was pale anemic and sentimental she had married the youngest son of a rich arrogant swedish family who were lumber merchants in st paul there she dwelt during her married life oscar anderson was a strong full-blooded fellow who had counted on a long life and had been rather careless about his business affairs he was killed by the explosion of a steam boiler in the mills and his brothers managed to prove that he had very little stock in the big business they had strongly disproved of his marriage 
and they agreed among themselves that they were entirely justified in defrauding his widow who they said would only marry again and give some fellow a good thing of it mrs anderson would not go to law with the family that had always snubbed and wounded her she felt the humiliation of being thrust out more than she felt her impoverishment so she went back to chicago to live with her widowed mother on an income of five hundred a year this experience had given her sentimental nature an incurable hurt something withered away in her her head had a downward droop her step was soft and apologetic even in her mother's house and her smile had a sickly uncertain flicker that so often comes from a secret humiliation she was effable and yet shrinking like one who has come down in the world who has known better clothes better carpets better people brighter hopes her husband was buried in the anderson lot in st paul with a locked iron fence around it she had to go to his eldest brother for the key when she went to say good-bye to his grave she clung to the swedish church because it had been her husband's church as her mother had no room for her household belongings mrs anderson had brought home with her only her bedroom set which now furnished her own room and mrs locke's there she spent most of her time doing fancy work or writing letters to sympathizing german friends in st paul surrounded by keepsakes and photographs of the burly oscar anderson thea when she was admitted to this room and shown these photographs found herself wondering like the anderson family why such a lusty gay-looking fellow ever thought he wanted this pallid long-cheeked woman whose manner was always that of withdrawing and who must have been rather thin-blooded even as a girl mrs anderson was certainly a depressing person it sometimes annoyed thea very much to hear her insinuating knock on the door her flurried explanation of why she had come as she backed toward the stairs mrs anderson admired thea greatly she thought it a distinction to be even a temporary soprano thea called herself so quite seriously in the swedish church she also thought it distinguished to be a pupil of hassani's she considered thea very handsome very swedish very talented she fluttered about the upper floor when thea was practicing in short she tried to make a heroine of her just as tilly kronborg had always done and thea was conscious of something of the sort when she was working and heard mrs anderson tiptoeing past her door she used to shrug her shoulders and wonder whether she was always to have a tilly diving furtively about her in some disguise or other at the dressmaker's mrs anderson recalled tilly even more painfully after her first sunday in mr larson's choir thea thought that she must have a proper dress for morning service her moonstone party dress might do to wear in the evening but she must have one frock that could stand the light of day she of course knew nothing about chicago dressmakers so she let mrs anderson take her to a german woman whom she recommended warmly the german dressmaker was excitable and dramatic concert dresses she said were her specialty 
in her fitting-room there were photographs of singers in the dresses she had made them for this or that zangerfest she and mrs anderson together achieved a costume which would have warmed tilly kronborg's heart it was clearly intended for a woman of forty with violent tastes there seemed to be a piece of every known fabric in it somewhere when it came home and was spread out on her huge bed thea looked it over and told herself candidly that it was a horror however her money was gone and there was nothing to do but make the best of the dress she never wore it except as she said to sing in as if it were an unbecoming uniform when mrs lark and irene told her that she looked like a little bird of paradise in it thea shut her teeth and repeated to herself words she had learned from joe giddy and spanish johnny in these two good women thea found faithful friends and in their house she found the quiet and peace which helped her to support the great experiences of that winter end of part two sections one and two recording by shi ping ling